1: And welcome to Sports Talk New York with the spot on sports guys, the Trezman, Mike Treza, the coach, Mike Godone, with you for the next 60 right here on WGBB 1240 AM, 95.9 on your FM dial, five one six six two three twelve forty. 1240 That's the phone number to get in touch with us tonight. Give us 60 minutes. We'll give you an hour's worth of hard-hitting New York-style sports talk. Brian Graves is our engineer. Plenty of baseball tonight, Mets, Yankees. We've got a guest who's a baseball agent. We'll get to some Knicks and some Islanders later on. Before we do any of that, let me say hi to my partner, the man we call the coach, Mike Guidone.
2: Trez, great to be back again. And and you said about hard hitting tonight. Hopefully uh, the Mets might bring their bats and be a little hard hitting as well. Although <laughs> bottom third now they are without a hit and are losing one nothing, but we'll get to that in just a second. But great to be back on. Uh, yeah, lots of baseball. We got some basketball to talk about as well, which is you know certainly something uh, exciting for me. And uh, we got a great guest lined up, and can't wait to get going.
1: Yeah, for those of you in our audience who have ever wondered what it might be like to be a sports agent, well, our guest tonight is just that. His name is Tony Giordano. He is from North Star. Sports management, and he joins us now. Tony, Mike, Treza, Mike Godone. How are you tonight?
3: Fine, Mike. How you doing?
1: Great. Thanks for being on with us. Great to have you. So, uh, talk to us a little bit about how you got started in this business and why you wanted to get into this business in the first place.
3: Oh boy, you got about five hours. <laughs> uh, I actually never dreamed I'd be in. Sports management or as a sports agent or a baseball agent. I I, I really started, it just, I just fell into it. I was in the financial business in the mid-80s. And I met uh, a good friend of mine, who. his name is Alan Nero, who was a uh, running a small, at that time agents were not really vogue or big in, in the mid-80s. It was just starting to come around. And um, Alan asked me to, help him start recruiting players. He had a couple of Red Sox players, one being Wade Boggs. And he said, you know, I'm managing these players, and I need some help in servicing them and doing different things, and maybe you can do some financial work for them. And uh, he asked me to um, just join him, you know. And I didn't really know what I was going to do or how to do it, but uh, I started – he gave me a little – 10-minute explanation of what he does, and like I said, this was in its infancy with sports management and agents, and I said, all right, and the first, I started recruiting players for him as best I could, and I was a local guy, I was in New York, he was in Boston, and uh, the first player I brought to him was John Franco of the Mets, ironically, I got lucky, but at that time, John Franco wasn't the John Franco we all know.
0: Right, right. And,
3: um... Then uh, that once we we had one player um, and he had Wade Boggs, he had several Red Sox players. Um, he started to expand and grow, and I grew with them.
1: And you know, it's funny, Tony, that uh, one of your other first clients, both Mike and I, have a uh, connection with NYIT. I actually graduated there. Mike coached there. Uh, was the kid who played at NYIT, went on to play for both the Yankees and the Mets. And, of course, we're talking about Al Watson.
3: Yep, yep. So it was, um, that's basically how it started. Alan now is the CEO and president of Octagon Baseball, which is one of the biggest firms in the country with some megastars, not only in baseball but in football and in basketball. So that's how I got into it, um, and really worked for about 4 years with him and then went to the union and was able to get certified because in order to be a baseball agent you need to be certified by the MLBPA and you have to go through a whole process with them because they're very protective of their players and they don't want they want to certify people that really understand the business and know what they're doing and it takes several years to do that so that's in that and the rest is history. And then uh, I went out on my own in 92 and built up a really good practice and then started working with this gentleman about four years ago at North Star.
2: We're joined tonight by Tony Giordano, MLB agent. Tony, this is Mike Woodone along with uh, Mike Trez. I just was curious, you know, how mm-hmm. in, very interesting story how you got involved in it. But were you a baseball fan at all or did you, did you have to, as you – kind of you know grew your client list had to become a little bit more uh in tune with the game or or just uh Mm -hmm. you know was it something that you took too easily
3: no i was a i was a baseball fan i was my dad was a big yankee fan when i was growing up uh you know he came over from italy when he was about 45 years old and in those days joe dimaggio was the idol of brooklyn italian kids coming over (laughs) to new york if you follow baseball so i became naturally a yankee fan um and started following them. I wasn't an, a rabbit fan, but I enjoyed going to the games. I wasn't very good. I didn't. I, I tried out for my baseball team in high school four years in a row, and I was cut every year. So I wasn't a good player. But uh, the next best thing, I guess, was being an agent. But uh, I, once you get into the business, it's almost like you stop being a fan. and You focus more on your players and their individuality. You know and. So kind of not rooting teams. The only conundrum you have is when you have one pitcher facing one hitter. Right. And they're both clients I had that happen in the playoffs several years ago. I had uh, A.J. Pacinski as catcher and I had Billy Koch as a pitcher, and it was a playoff game.
0: Mm.
3: And they were facing each other. And A.J. <laughs> hit a home run off Billy. So people would say to me, How, how do you decide? Who to root for?
1: I said, which everyone's making less money. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Koch, and of course, another local kid, West Babylon High School. Um, so, right. Tony, uh, talk about. Um, I know I asked you this when uh, we spoke to you on Ray's podcast, um, but that was before the season started and all these new rules came in. Now that you've seen about half of this season that we're in with the pitch clock, mm-hmm. um, with some of the new rules that are in effect. Has it changed any what it is you're looking for in terms of prospects?
3: Well interestingly enough uh, we have a player now that um, is going to be in the draft next week he'll probably be in the top six rounds a very good player out of University of South Carolina. So I've been talking a lot we, we serve as an advisor and the week or two before the draft all the scouts for the teams that are interested in this player and this player has many suitors right now i think about 15 teams are interested in him have been calling me and i was and most of these scouts are old school guys from who played professional baseball they've been around a long time i know a lot of them and we were speaking about that yesterday with one of the scouts about what the differences are what he what he sees well first of all analytics has become a great part of the game
1: sure you know you
3: see you see Lineups, and you know, if you listen to sports shows like your show and other shows out there, fans will call up and they'll go, I can't understand why he's batting fifth and he's batting fourth and why is he batting second. <laughs> and believe me or not, I think most of those lineups are predicated on analytics nowadays. Yeah, so that's why so many strange occurrences are happening with the lineups. Why you're seeing switches made and things like that. So, that in and of itself is a change right there. I mean. When you see in the old days, Aaron Judge would probably be batting fourth or fifth. Now he's batting second. So, you know, and, and if you remember the old days, you had to clean cleanup hitter and behind him somebody that would protect him. You don't see that as much anymore. So that's a change we were talking about last night. Uh, we were talking also about the fact that uh, pitchers only pitch now five innings. How many pitches do you know we're going to see? I don't think the game, the days of 30 complete games, which Alan Watson had done when he was pitching, he had 30 complete games
2: and over 200
3: innings. I don't think you're going to see that ever again. Uh, I think because, number one, bullpens have become far more um, established. And number two, the starting pitchers are making so much more money. They're trying to keep them from getting injured. So that may be a change. With the new rules now, um, it's you know, games have definitely shortened. Obviously, we spoke about that prior. But you see a lot more stolen bases, right? You see people stealing bases far more. If Ricky Henderson was playing now, probably have 300 stolen bases this year. Yeah. Um, you see that. Um, I think you see a lot more excitement because you have now that runner when the game's tied at the nine innings. It adds it, to the excitement of the game. Changes a little bit on that. It's, and the the pitchers, I, when we first spoke, were starting to get used to the clock. They're very used to it now. It's almost the pitch clock is like a second thought to us right now when we're
0: thinking. Right, the game. right.
2: Yeah. So,
3: no. I mean, I, I see changes for the better in in regards to, and I think they're trying they're trying to appeal more to the the general public to make the games exciting and shorter.
1: Absolutely. Um, and other than skill set. Is there something that you look for in terms of um, the makeup of the prospect or player mm-hmm. um, in terms yeah. of personality? Anything that would be like a deal a deal killer for you? This guy's a hothead. This guy seems to give up too easily. I mean, what do you look for in terms of personality?
3: Well, you know first of all, we're not we're not we have a person that recruits for us and he's a former player. Uh, Jim Layritz works for us. I don't know if you remember Jim. Oh, of course. Works for us. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy's uh, one of our consultants. So um, we basically look for a good, solid kid that, I mean, look, we're not analyzing personality. We're not going to have him be interviewed by a psychologist or a therapist or eye <laughs> But we also... You know when a scout calls on a player and a player is being looked at in the first six, seven, eight, ten rounds, they're doing their due diligence as far as personality as well. So we meet with the player, we meet with the family. Yeah, obviously you don't want to get somebody that's going to create issues from day one that you have them. So we try to to try to do as best we can. But most of our players come as referrals, and. Almost all of our players. So the referrals we get are from players of the same kind. In the sense that they say, "No, this is a good kid. We know his family, things like that." And that's how we work it. Um, so more or less, obviously, we we try to do that, but that's it's part of the process. It's not the entire process.
2: Tony, I'd have to admit that mostly, you know, what I know about negotiating contracts in baseball comes from the money, uh, the movie Moneyball. And uh, you know, very interesting things there. Um, but of, of course, they took artistic license with that. Have you noticed over the years ha- has the way you do business with teams changed? Is it, are there more layers now? Or are you directly with you know one person, or does it does it kind of depend on the organization?
3: Um, it depends on the organization, but m- majority of the time you're going to deal with the general manager or the assistant general manager. Um, when the player's in the minor leagues, you're really not going to deal with the general manager or the assistant general manager, or you're going to deal with the farm director. and the, It's a different layer mm-hmm. of, um, of front office people. choose the farm director or the minor director of minor league operations, things like that. You'll deal with them for the minor leaguers, but there's really no contractual discussions. They take what they're given. Okay. Once you get over to the big league side, meaning when the player's on the 40-man roster, and then you're going to deal with the major league office, which is the, the assistant GM, usually the same person, or the uh, GM himself. Uh, when the contracts get large, um, it's the general manager and sometimes even uh, the president of the team.
2: Very interesting.
1: When you first sign a player, let's say it's an 18-year-old kid. He's going to go in rookie ball. He's just out of high school. How much of the process that's involved, Tony, um, is around sort of educating the uh, client what it's like to be a professional, how to conduct himself, how to prepare for games and prepare for a season? How much of that uh, is involved?
3: Um. You know, it's a good deal involved. These kids, first of all, uh, especially the college kid is a little bit less involved because they're already in, in college and, you know, they're playing on a competitive basis there. They're traveling around the country, you know, Division One schools. They're playing big-time sports. With a high school kid, a little bit different. Um, you get more involved with what they're going to encounter in the minor leagues. As you said, I speak to them. I speak to their parents um bronson arroyo is a former client of mine and he's really a good guy i i have a lot of the younger players he'll he'll gladly pick up the phone if i ask him and speak to them about you know what to expect in the minor leagues and how to you know and anything like that so i have one of, and jimmy later it's the same thing jim will talk to them about what to expect talk to their parents and so forth um so i try to give them as much exposure vis-a-vis the players that have been there and done that. Uh, And I try to talk to them a little bit more about the business of baseball and what what they're going to encounter, how long they're going to be before they can be put on the 40-man roster. If they're not on the 40-man roster, how long do they have to stay in the organization, what the Rule 5 draft is all about. Uh, And I also will speak to the front office people about them, Every few every few months, about it's almost like I joke around. It's almost like we had kids. Our parent teacher conference when we used to talk to the 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 uh, teachers about our kids. I talked to the, <laughs> the front office about our kids, how they're doing, where they're going. So I keep them abreast of that information so that they understand because it is a business. And when these kids first sign, you know, they're all excited just to be there, and they don't care if they make money or not. They just want to make some majors. But once they're there two or three years, they realize it's a business. And it's our job to try to give them as much clarity as the team are willing to give us.
1: Now, uh, with a small agency like yours, I'd imagine that uh, clients can expect a real personal level of service that they yeah. might not get with, uh, you know, I'll just cool. throw a name out there, a Scott Boris or somebody uh, yeah. like that.
3: As big as you can get. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we we try to give, you know, um, I feel... All through my career, that's what our selling is about is personal attention, personal, uh, you know, you can pick up the phone and speak to me. You're not going to speak to six layers of people before you get to me and so forth. You're going to speak to one of our associates in vis-a-vis what he does. So we all have specialized uh, things that we do for the organization. Um, But some players, and I think a lot of players, I find more and more, are, are more are more inclined to go with a smaller company because they want that personal attention. You know, when, when they're really, really good players and they're moving up the ladder and they're number one picks and they're, they're considered top prospects, you know, they, they're going to move up the ladder no matter if they have Scott Boris or Tony Giordano. It's not going to matter. These guys are going up to the top because of the money invested in them and the opportunities are going to be given to them. But when you get more of the middle-of-the-road players... Uh, these guys don't know where they're going to be next. I just had one of my players call me today. He walked into the clubhouse, and they told him to send him to A. He never expected. He's a young kid. He's going to A. He's all excited. But the point is, he didn't expect that, whereas the prospects, no matter what they do, they're going to move them up. Look at the Giants. They brought up two of their top picks now, and they're playing every day. Yan- Yankees are doing the same thing. Because of the amount of money they're investing in these players for signing, they got to give them that opportunity. The younger the players, more of the mid level guys that don't get as much. And they may take a little bit longer unless they're really good. So they're gonna need more clarity and companies like ours will give them the opportunity to be able to speak to us and us to speak to the team and they'll we'll be there for them. I always joke that tell up the players when we recruit them, we're like seven eleven, we're twenty four seven, we're always open.
2: Tony, so any any new players on the horizon that, that you're working with that Think they have a real fast track to the major leagues or yeah, anybody I, currently I think around.
3: Brett Wisely with the Giants uh, is doing phenomenal. I mean, he's a kid who's an 18th round pick. He's already been up in the big leagues this year. He's only 22. They he's having a phenomenal season. Um, I like him a lot. Um, somebody on the Mets that has been up and down, Danny Reyes, mm-hmm. but he's young. They're working with him now to be a starting pitcher. He has all the tools. He's been up in the big leagues. He's on the 40 man. We have the catcher with the Nationals. There's only 21 that's already been up in the big leagues. His name is Pineda, Israel Pineda. Uh, I like him a lot. Uh, we, we have an interesting player that we took we took a chance on uh, now that I think is going to be back. He's the first-round pick of the Giants in 2015. Uh, made it to the big leagues real fast, power hitter, for sure. And for whatever reason, just floundered, didn't find his niche. Um, he was with a big company. They lost attention to him. And once you get lost in the system, which happened to him, he, he bounced around, and he's still young. He wound up in the independent league, which is kind of like the purgatory of baseball. Yes. And uh, although the Ducks are really fun to play for, a lot of those guys want to get back into you know uh, the affiliates, if you know what I mean. Sure. So... Chris is now, the White Sox took a chance on him, he's having a really good year, uh, he was, a, like I said, a first-round pick with the Giants out of Boston College, very, very good. So he's moving up, we have a local kid that I like Mets with the Mets, who, he's always succeeded at every level, um, he's been a walk-on wherever he goes, and now he's up in AA, and he's playing well there too. His name is Joe Swazi.
2: Oh, I happen to work with his uncle. His his uncle. So that's right. Yeah, his oh, uncle Vin is yeah. is is a uh, yeah, co worker of mine, talks about him all the time.
3: Joe's in double A, hitting three hundred.
2: Wow. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I happen to know a lot about him. He excels wherever yeah. he goes. Yeah.
3: Yeah, he seems to he's he is an overachiever, no question about it. Everywhere he goes, he steps on and he does well. And the Mets he he, he forced the Mets to promote him by playing so well in A Pi A. Now he's in Double A and he's hitting
1: 300. And you know so that's he that's, just
3: had a slight injury. He's all right. He had a little bit of a pullback, but he's out for a few weeks. But
1: that's a, a great bridge, known, Tony, you know? into my next question to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know everybody likes to think that their kid or their nephew or whoever is a mm-hmm. is a prospect, but if somebody does have uh, a legitimate, bona fide prospect and wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that?
3: Uh, just. Google North Star Sports Management. We're on, we're on Instagram. We're on the web. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on website. I know we have a marketing person, and she's very savvy. We're everywhere. We're, they can easily find us.
1: That's great.
3: Very simply. And, uh, you know, um, we do get a lot of calls from from prospects. First thing, we you know, nowadays there's so many judging or services that you perfect game and all these different organizations and you know kids are being recruited now in ninth and tenth grade crazy by all right well you know it's funny because my cousin's son who lives in san diego he's 15 years old he's already six foot two and he's throwing 85 already wow and they're already speaking to him so it's it's got to be it's become very 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 uh Specific. In fact, Alan Watson's son is on. Is and I guess it's genetic. He's doing unbelievably well as a as a sophomore, as a freshman. He's me a sophomore this year. At um, I think he's at St. Francis Prep, from what I think. Okay. I think one of those schools. But there's the system has become so elaborate that they're finding kids now eighth, ninth, tenth grade. So if any of these people are prospects, or their sons of prospects, I guarantee you they know it already that they're prospects.
1: Tony Giordano from North Star Sports Management. It's been our pleasure to spend a little time with you. Thank you so much for coming on with us this evening.
3: You're welcome. It's great talking to you. and Let's talk again at the end of the year. We'll hopefully give you some more good news about our players.
1: Absolutely. Oh, so
2: thanks so much, Tony.
1: Take care.
2: All the best All right. with your players and, and in the future.
1: Thanks. Thank you so
2: much. Absolutely. That. Wow, very very interesting stuff right there.
1: Yeah, that's great.
2: You know, it's uh, – it's amazing how what a small world it is how he brought up Joe Swazi because he was as he was describing Joe, you know, just based on I based on what his uncle who I work with every day at school tells me, you know, what a tremendous player he is, but how he works his way up and, and there there you would go. So
1: Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um yeah, we had him on Ray's podcast and of course you know Ray is much more political yes. than I, so of course he know he knows Tom and that was the connection there. So uh let's shift gears, Mike and talk some yanks, yanks uh, exciting well, week for the yanks.
2: It is and, and you know what I was having a nice chat with my mom on the way in tonight who is who's a yankee fan. No! Really she was a Brooklyn Dodger fan. Likes the Yankees, likes the Mets. She was really Brooklyn Dodgers, but she was saying that she had heard about a perfect game being thrown by the Yankees this yeah. week. And uh you know, we we chatted a little bit about it on the way in as well. Um you know, certainly a highlight of the season. Um, you know, you think that's something that can kind of spur them on now, or is it a little too late? Or what do you think? Carlos Rondon's coming back?
1: Well, listen, I mean, in terms of uh, Herman, what I said to you, Mike, at be- you know, going back to the beginning of this season, is there's not a lot in between with Herman. No. He's either terrible or he's great. And that night, clearly, he was great. You know, nobody thinks he's going to be perfect game, great. But, again, there are those wild swings. What I'm hoping it does, forget about the Yankees for a second, in terms of Herman, is help him figure it out. Because this is a guy that clearly, I don't care if you're facing the Oakland A's. He has great stuff. And he showed it that night. And one thing about Herman that's really interesting, you can tell almost from the first pitch that he's really on tonight or he doesn't have it at all tonight. And, again, very little in between with him.
2: Did he have an issue earlier in the season with with the stickies? Okay, and he he, he was suspended, correct? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, just goes to they show. had
1: warned him once before, right. and then when they finally threw him out of that game, he got the ten game gate.
2: Right. Which very interesting because now come back later on in the season, you'd think he's under the microscope, so he he can't be exact towing you know back and forth between the rules and and, and throws a perfect game.
1: And by the way, Mike. People want to downgrade that because it was nah. against the Oakland A's. I mean, come on. No,
2: nah, this is Major Oakland. League
1: Baseball. Yeah, come I on. mean, come on. Uh, they they had just beaten the Yankees the night before, 2-1. Right. to one. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I, really exciting time. And, Herman, listen, I mean, that's – I'm hoping, again, going to give him a boost and let him figure it out once and for all.
2: You know, and, and they've been getting, obviously, top-level performance from Garrett Cole, all-star this year. I think we talked early before the season started that he was really poised to have a huge year this year.
1: Yeah. I mean Declan when he was on with us was really high on him. Uh Cole after taking the loss today against Jordan Montgomery. Um
2: that's that's it, that's another tough one uh, for a Yankee. I know.
1: But listen, you know what? Listen, let's give Jordan Montgomery his flowers. You know, he wanted to get um a little bit a little measure of revenge against the Yankees. He did that today, he pitched great, had no hitter into the sixth inning, Mike. Um and so listen, Cole, I mean, he gave up two runs, and he took the loss. He's now eight and two, so I mean, again, you look at the rotation right now. you mentioned Rodan coming back, and Nester right towards the end of this um month is going to be coming back. so it's interesting because, um, as we talked about with their rotation, Mike, Schmidt was so bad at the beginning, yeah, and lately he's been terrific. Severino, just the opposite, came off the um i l Gave you two good starts. Has been awful ever since, other than that one game against Texas where he gave you six shutout innings against a really good Texas team this year. Um, but he's been terrible. So, you know, the interesting thing is going to be when um, both Rodon and Nestor come back, who's out of the rotation? I mean, right. Johnny Brito is an easy answer. He never belonged in the rotation. But when it's Cole, Schmidt, Uh, Severino, um, Herman, and Rodon.
2: Yep. Who's going? That's, that's a great question. Nice problem to have if everyone is, is, you know, doing their thing and really, you know, progressing well. That, that's a, that's a good question. You know, Rodon, we'll, we'll see how, how, you know, back to form or quote unquote, you know, he's, he's new to New York. Does he, does he come through? You know, Yankees right now, um, if the season ended today, famous if the season ended today, uh, they would make the wild card. Uh, you know, divi- they'd be the second wild right. card, right? Divisional wise, right now, um, nine and a half back, but you know, 40, 46 and thirty eight. So, if if these guys come back throwing, you know, you, you're going to be in good shape. What about the bullpen?
1: The bullpen has been terrific, Mike. And you know, you led me perfectly into a point I want to make. And I know I'm going to get a lot of blowback from Yankee fans, and that's okay. When you look at the rotation we just talked about, the fact that the bullpen has been terrific, but there really is no one legitimate closer, right? right? You got all these guys, Marinaccio, Peralta, um, you know, Clay Holmes, uh, King, all these guys that are really good, but none of them is a bona fide closer. You look at how Boone has used the bullpen. You look at the fact that when Judge got hurt, it wasn't just the veteran guys that stopped hitting, Mike. Sure. It was the young guys as well. Yep. I mean, Volpe was hitting 190 at the time. Yeah. And now he's finally starting to hit, and he's up to 220. Um Peraza has been up all year and has done nothing. Yep. Absolutely nothing. So, um, you know... It's easy for a Met fan to say, hey, let the kids play. But the Yankees tried that, and they weren't getting anything from the kids either. Exactly. You know? And when you take all that and put it in totality, I submit that this is the best job Boone has done since he's been Yankee manager. For you Boone haters out here, I'm telling you right now, this is the best job Aaron Boone has done as manager in the six years that he's been here,
2: wow, I, I hear all the screams and yelling going on <laughs> south of uh, that. Call me south of I have said term, I, no, but yeah, I, I I agree with you. I mean, really, because they they were on the skids there for a while, and when when you lose, you know, the the reigning MVP, and, and you you pick that back up, and you're still at this point, you know, in, in a playoff spot, that's great stuff. Uh, do you see maybe you know you mentioned there's no closer. Yankees maybe make a deal towards the trade deadline, you know, to bring somebody in? No, I Did think Did you they... see who just got traded, though, from, from yeah, Kansas? Yeah, Chapman. Chapman.
1: Fulfilled your uh, prophecy that you put down earlier this yeah. season. Um, but, you know, here's the thing, Mike. I, I think they think they have enough, whether I agree with it or you do, Um to sort of piece it together and do a bullpen by committee, whether or not you think or I think that can work, I think that's what they think uh-huh. is that with Holmes, with King, with Peralta, with Marinaccio, and a couple of the other guys that we don't really talk about that are sort of bit players in that bullpen, they think they can get it done.
2: Well, I'm not I'm not one to fight on that because listen, results results speak, and, and the Yankees are perennial, you know, playoff performers. So.
1: We're gonna take a quick break, folks. We'll step away. We'll be back with Chris Caputo and some Met Talk right after this.
0: You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And
1: now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Talk New York with the spot on sports guys right here on 1240 AM WGBB. Trezza and Gadon with you. We are rolling. Right now we're gonna get some Met Talk to help us do that. Is our intrepid Mets reporter. You can call him Cap. We call him Chris. Just don't call him during, during a Met game, but we're doing that right now, and he's on with us, Chris Caputo. Chris, how are you, buddy?
0: I'm doing okay. How are you guys? Mets up
1: four-one, huh? Make it five. Yeah,
0: let's go. Another, another.
2: Hey, Cap, just real quick, because um, we were following as 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 we had our guest on. Um, did did the Mets knock uh, the starter out? Uh, stripling out of the box, or was he was he injured? What what? How, why did they have to go to the bullpen, uh, San Francisco? You
0: know what? I was in and out, but I believe they knocked him out and. Uh... Okay. They brought in uh, Alex Wood. Yes, he's uh, he pitching like for, a
2: piece of wood. We'll take it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and 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 then Wood came in and walked three guys in a, in an inning. So I believe I'm not sure if he if the uh, what
1: the reason was. He'll, he'll be
2: out. on the Met roster uh, probably by the end of the week. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you never know these days.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: So I'm I'm thinking, Chris, you probably are, are uh, more than glad to rip that last page off the calendar. Met seven and nineteen in the month of June, now 1-0 and going for 2-0 and in the month of July.
0: Yeah, June never seems to be the month for the Mets. Uh, it's like collapse month for them. Um, they found a way to, to lose every game that they could in a different way. And to go, I believe they were three games out of the division to being 18 games out of the division uh, by the end of the month and 10 games under, uh, it, it's pathetic. It's absolutely insane to see a team go like that. And I'm not going to blame it on Pete Alonso getting hurt. I'm not going to blame it. They just, every person found a way to just not play well. And they found a way to lose games, uh, different ways every day. And, um, some days were competitive. Some days were not. But, um, it's just, it was, it, it was time to, to end that. And, you know, they really also like, I knew it was going to be tough for them because of the competition they were playing, but they didn't play well against the bad teams as well.
1: Now, Chris, I realize fans are fickle, right? And they're gonna they're gonna love one guy, a player, a coach, a manager, one day, one month, one year, and then be down on the guy. But I am astounded by the number of Met fans I've heard sounding off on Sports Talk on social media that are down on on Buck Walter. What's your take on that?
0: Well, you know, we talked a little bit a couple weeks back. Um, I I think the thing is that. Buck really, at this point, you know, if you're going to take the credit for last year, you also have to take the blame this year. And I think the the Mets just last year for, you know, 95% of the year, everything just went right. And Buck knew the the ways to get around things. And he knew, you know, different things that, that were going to get the Mets an extra run here or there. And the team played really well. And when you had Edwin Diaz, lights out. There was no situation where Buck was going to look bad unless he brought him in in the eighth and then somebody blew it in the ninth. But he got away with some stuff last year. Um I could see people being down, but if you get rid of him, it doesn't mean that things are going to get better. Uh, I just think right now he has not. You know, you're talking about Boone having a good year. He has. But I just think this is not – I think it's time for Buck to kind of move on. I think his uh, – his ways of doing things just aren't working right now. And at times you just need a, a, a new voice there. I'm not saying the Mets aren't playing for him. Uh, I just think people are down because he's making decisions with the bullpen that are not so great. Here's my biggest thing, guys, and you you know I bring this up all the time. The Mets right now are 23-2 and two when a starter goes six-plus innings. He's pulling guys after 78 pitches in five innings. Let him go a third time through the lineup. Stop killing your bullpen.
1: Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me when the bullpen has been as bad as it has been.
2: So, Cap, earlier this week, uh, owner Steve Cohen called a press conference. Um, did it, you know, the day before? So there was a lot of kind of buzz, a lot of build up, and then when he got on the mic, what were your impressions?
0: Well, when somebody calls a press conference the day before, you know, nobody's getting fired. You know, it's not like going to be huge news. You know it's basically the guy saying, you know what, I'm going to stand up and talk for myself. I think the biggest thing that I got out of it is that he wants to hire a president of baseball operations, and he keeps saying that it was slim Pickens when they had got a general manager last year. So I think what he's basically saying is he's waiting for uh, David Stearns from the, uh, the Brewers to have his contract run out, and then they're going to try to, to hire him because – He wants somebody in baseball that's going to know stuff and has been around the block. And, you know, it just happened to be that Milwaukee was in town when he had this conversation. So I think he probably had a conversation, you know, with that guy, and he's trying to get him on board. Um, The rest of the stuff, I just don't see them. um, He's not going to fire anybody midseason. I get it, fine. But, honestly, what he said was just a whole lot of, you know, people – want to hear something, and you step up to the mic and basically say, yeah, I want to see us do better. We're just not doing better. I mean, I don't know. What did you guys think of something that was called the day before? And when it was done, I think people probably had more questions than answers.
2: Yeah, I I kind of agree with you because I I thought, you know, obviously nobody was getting fired because people were asking me, oh, what do you think? Yeah, you're not going to – You're not going to call a press conference. It really was kind of a a whole lot of of nothing, as as you had kind of alluded to. Um, You know, bringing up hiring somebody else. I mean, that doesn't really get you too excited. You know, the the basic fan just wants to hear you know a little bit, a little bit more. I think he kind of threw the Wilpons under the bus a little bit. It seemed he seemed to. I don't know. I I think he could have been a little bit more gracious with some of the things he was talking about. kind of getting off that for just one second you know the one trade that they had that they did make was they traded eduardo escobar um got back a couple of minor league pitchers you know that's that's not going to get you too excited is that how low the market was for him they they there was nobody that they could have brought in brought in as a stopgap starter or like anything cap. i mean what what was that all about
0: you got to remember the guy's on the last year of a contract and he's he's not even starting for the mets who are you know 10 games under 500 so what value did Eduardo Escobar really have except that, you know, he's played before and he's kind of been there. So I, and, and I think the most that you're allowed to now pick up off somebody's contract is like 90%. And that's what the Mets did. They picked that up and they got themselves a guy who supposedly is top 10 in their organization. As far as, uh, a pitcher, a guy with the last name Crow, which we gave up. A guy with the last name Crow a couple of years ago, but um, I think that's what the Mets are trying to do now for the rest of time. If they're going to dump, they're going to try to eat most of the contract to try and get back a decent prospect, as opposed to you know getting low-level guys and and somebody picks up the money. So I think if the Mets are traders at the deadline, I would imagine that they're going to eat most of the contract and try and get back somebody of value. But I don't know. I mean, let's talk quickly about who is of value on this team. Guys that are in there last year of their contract, you know, who really wants Carlos Carrasco? Um, who wants, you know, Mark Hanna? Who wants, you know, you know, guys like that are going to be really tough uh for the Mets to get much back in return. I think the biggest guy that the Mets could, could get rid of is David Robertson.
1: You know, Chris, we've heard a little of this talk over the last – couple weeks about and I think it's crazy talk to be honest with you about um Otani possibly being traded at the at the deadline i mean I think the angels would have to be out of their minds to do that uh last year of his contract or not, and we've heard about the uh the Mets being a potential landing spot for him. what do you think of of that uh much ado about nothing
0: i mean I think it would be blockbuster, if something like that happened midseason, if the Angels were, like, way, way out of it, and I don't even know at this point exactly what their record is. Yeah, they're they about five what, above five hundred right now. Right, so they got a shot. Um, you know, knowing that he's probably going to become a free agent and maybe sign somewhere else at the end of the year, you want to get something back besides a conditional draft pick or whatever it might be. But I just don't see many two things i don't see the angels doing that and i don't see many teams giving up everything for a guy that's going to be a free agent at the end of the year and you may not be able to negotiate with him right away so i think that stuff is kind of tough now if he was a free agent the next year then maybe um i could see that but people are going to have to give up everything including major league starters uh to be able to get him but um why, honestly, Mike? Why would the Mets pick up Shohei Ohtani right now? Why? Yeah, no, it They're makes no sense. That's what, I,
1: that's, that's what I it said. It makes it's... absolutely no sense for
0: them to give something up for a guy they can get for nobody at the end of the year. Absolutely.
1: All right, Cap. Listen, we got to run. Great talking to you. Thank you for popping on. I appreciate it. Okay, guys. Good talking to you.
2: All right, five-one lead. So
0: five-one. Yeah, Wilma Flores just hit a ball that Tommy Pham dropped. But I have to give credit <laughs> to David Peterson. He has David Peterson has looked better, good. but it's going to take a whole lot for the Mets to get back in it by August first. Um, so I think I think the the Mets are traders at the deadline. I don't think any of the big guys are going, but I think they'll get rid of a couple of the the smaller well, guys.
2: As Lou Brown said in Major League. We won a game. You win another game. If you win three, that's called a winning streak. So hopefully we well, we can get on that.
0: Yeah. Maybe they can get one of those uh mannequins in there and peel off <laughs> a piece of them every single time they win.
2: We'll see. You never know. Thanks, right. Cap. Be well, buddy. Take care, guys. Okay. Bye. Cap in in surprisingly high spirits Yeah, tonight,
1: that's good. He must be drinking.
2: Well, I I would say, you know, 5-1 lead also helps, but you know, it's only it's only one game uh that, you know, that we're talking about here, but um, yeah, I mean, when, when you look when you look at their status, nineteen games out, and you know, nine out of a, out of a while, it's just it's worst case scenario gone gone viral here for the New York Mets.
1: Mike Nick's ah, uh, all right. making some news this week, yes, sir. Uh, the departure of Obi Toppin, yeah. and then the signing of DiVincenzo, another Villanova product. Um, so. I mean, let me ask you about Toppin sure. really quickly, all right? Because once the audio leaked out yeah. of the dust up between he and Thibodeau, was was that a, a, a fate accompli?
2: I think so. You know, and, and that's one of those things. I, I, not that I'm surprised. I mean, I don't know know Obi Toppin personally, but he seemed like a pro. He seemed like a guy who was like, all right, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my role. And a what, dude, yeah, whatever it is. And, and for him to be that frustrated. Um and it, you know after a playoff game a playoff game yeah you know I, I mean I could see the frustration but to have it boil over like that, um you know I mean we've we've been talking about Obi Toppin since right. the day he was drafted and I, I was a big fan of his and I have been and I kept saying you know he needs more minutes or or, you, or at least you have to find him some to justify him being a, a lottery pick. Now here you go you know he's traded now for two second round picks which is a kind of a glorified salary dump but um not that he was making a lot of money but I'm happy for him I think I think he needed to change the scenery yeah and once it came out you know that 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 him and, and Thibodeau were were you know got into an altercation verbal altercation after a playoff game that was that but here's the thing though Mike
1: um we could argue back and forth whether he should be a 12 15 18 minute uh a game player but If my guy who plays 12, 15 minutes comes confronts me after a playoff game and I'm your coach, I'm telling you, get lost. I'm busy. (laughs) I have work to do. I don't have time
2: for you. Yeah. Playing time, as a basketball coach myself, playing time issues after a game, Nah, never a good no, time to come discuss it. me that. on Monday. Yeah, honest. absolutely. <laughs> if that, you know, I mean, seriously, at least give it, give it, you know, twelve hours. Just get it, because the last thing any coach, especially a professional, you know, who's who's got his team almost on the brink of the Eastern Conference Finals, wants to hear from, you know, your backup four guy.
1: Vincenzo, talk to me about how that affects the guard rotation. A Assuming sure. that the guard, um, that the guys that are on the team now stay on the team, how does this affect the guard rotation going into the season?
2: It's a great question. You know, it, they didn't sign him to ten million dollars a year contract to, to play. You know, minor minutes. Exactly. And we all knew what was the one thing that we we saw that the shooting. Knicks needed. Shooting. They needed shooting. Shooting. Exactly. Shooting. As did Cleveland, but. Um, so I think, you know, did they overpay for, for him a little bit? Probably, but he had a breakout season last year in terms of his shooting. He a 40% three-point shooter. Brings a lot of energy. Of course, you know, he's the Villanova connection along with Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson. So you got that going.
1: Oh, we got to get Chucky on again. Chucky is oh, probably oh, smiling he, for the year he, right year. He's going to be in
2: the garden, you know, over and over again. Now, what that does for the rotation, that's a great question. Um, there's a log jam there of of, of guards, you know, they, they really need some size. Now, when we're just talking guards, you know, you got Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly, um, Derek Rose left. Not that he was, you know, in the rotation whatsoever, but, you know, that opens up a spot, so to speak. Um, it, it, it's, it's very, very tough to say, um, you know, where they go with this. I, I you know what I, I mean it's it, it's a little difficult for me to get excited and I'm a Villanova fan I mean to get excited about Dante Vincenzo coming in here, but um you know what what else was left at a reasonable price and I hate to sound like I'm selling cars here, but you know he 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 brings a, a need but there there i I would be surprised if you don't see you know there's a couple of guys like a jericho sims he's on a non guaranteed contract. Um, you're gonna see some of these guys going out because they have 14 players on the roster. Maybe another minor trade, but, um, you know, I had I had floated through our little group here. You know, maybe they could swing a deal in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, for, for a mega superstar, but you know, James Harden, no, thank you, please, no. You know, <laughs> so if they
1: acquire Harden, are you uh, out on the next? Uh, are
2: you kidding me? I, I'm. I'm all my stuff will be in the garbage, and all my net gear will then be uh, mysteriously appearing. No, no. please. Go- gosh, no.
1: One quick one. I know up to this point it's been kind of fantasy land for you. Um, any chance, is it realistic at all we can put together a package for Dame Lillard? Is that still on well, the table? Well,
2: I think they could put a package together. It just seems like from everything I'm hearing, he has no interest in coming to New York. Um, really, the, the, the teams are Philly. Philly. Uh, Miami really is the number one team that that they're really you know trying to swing a deal with because that's really where he wants to go. Um, but even San Antonio came into the mix. There was a rumor about that today because he he he's you know he's a big fan of theirs. So um, you know could they swing a deal? I don't know. They might be a third team in a deal because it, there's no way that that uh, Portland is going to get on a one for one trade with Miami. Not that they're going to trade within the division, but I just, you know, fortunately I don't see it happen because I think that's the perfect superstar for them.
1: What moves do you think they could actually pull off that are realistic, Mike? And all those smaller moves that's just going to tweak the roster? I mean, obviously wholesale changes are probably not in the, uh, yeah, in the cards at this point.
2: Not. And we had we'd spoken about it a couple of weeks ago, you know, like – is is Julius Randall a long term option? You know, and he's he's not going to be traded because he's coming off an injury, in, in in all NBA. So if if you're going to swing a humongous deal, you'd have to have him or an, or an RJ Barrett, and and you know quickly. I I just don't see it happening a, a mega deal. Um, you know, they address shooting and a little bit of defense and, and some depth. Um, I don't see anything big happening from here. And really, do they really need to blow it up? I mean, they were they were. It was a weak year last year that, you know, they, they kind of overachieved. I would love it. If they stand pad, fine. Just please, just no James Harden or any, or any deal like that. That's like, you know, the circa 2002 New York Knicks.
1: All right. So we're going to switch gears. Not only did the Knicks have a big week in terms of trades, we had a little action coming from Elmont. And that is the New York Islanders joining us now is our Islanders reporter. We haven't spoke with, spoken with him in a while, Johnny Sticks, John Santa Maria. How are you, John? Hey, what's going on? Life is good.
2: Welcome back, Johnny.
1: Life is good for Ilya Sorokin with that new deal in hand. I think that was a big surprise, but I think that was the best thing that could have happened over
4: the weekend because you go into the season now with one less distraction.
2: Well, and also, they they signed Varlamov as well, right? So you have now your your tandem here. I believe that was a four-year deal for him, so no worries yeah, in, in so your goaltending.
4: Va- yeah, so as far as with uh, Varlamov, I, I, I was going back and forth with that. I said, does he want to take less money to come back? And we got our answer. The four-year is surprising, but what that also showed me is, too, he's ready to finish his career in Long Island. Yes. And he's okay with his role. He knows he probably wasn't going to get too many looks as a starter. I thought there was a possibility he could with one of those rebuilding teams. But, you know what, that didn't matter to him. He he likes his situation here, and he knows what he's expected to do here. And the good continuity here for the, for the goaltending is we haven't had this, in, they have not had this in a long time.
1: And um one guy who's not going to finish his career here, obviously, John, is Josh Bailey, your fan favorite, one of your favorites, I know, 15 years here, and, um, you know, let go this week. I mean, did you see that as some sort of a message to the veterans that have been here for a long time that, hey, listen, you know what, you got to stay on top of your game? No, I, and I think
4: every situation is different because I was looking at all the, all the contracts uh, with this team. And one thing that not just Josh Bailey, but quite a number of people we've seen from time to time, the salary cap really hasn't risen a whole lot. It's gone up about a billion, billion and a half every year since uh, we came out of the pandemic in 2020. So Devon Tays, when he was traded, was a cap casualty at the time. Um, There was a couple of other things. But I think just with how Josh Bailey played last year and even the year before that, you knew something had to be done, and I think the Islanders really, really locked out that they didn't have to buy him out because they got his $5 million off the books. And if that wasn't done, I don't think a couple of other things that we'll get to could have possibly gotten done.
2: Any possibility on any more larger-scale moves, uh, John? As as free agency, you know, is it, it's not quite like basketball. It doesn't go at that fast pace. It's a little bit slower. But any any big deals you could see on, on the horizon that maybe the Islanders are going to dip their toe in the water?
4: Well, a couple of things. Let's start with one guy who hasn't been signed yet, and that's Zach Parise. He has not made the decision if he is going to come back and play next year. Um, so and I'd like to see him, come him. Back, personally. They did tell him. Uh, Lou Lamoureux did tell him he does have a spot if he would like one. And then the other bit of news that was uh, being explored still could possibly be out there is that because now the Islanders are going to have to, they're still looking to add wingers and you want to possibly still maybe look at the idea of maybe Horvat and Barzal on two separate lines so they could both play their natural center positions. Um, There's been talk that they could possibly move on from JG Paggio who has as I'm looking at the exact numbers in front of me, he has three more years and five million on his contract due to him each year. Um, there's talk he could possibly be dealt to Ottawa, back to Ottawa, for to uh, bring one mm-hmm. of their uh, young right wingers. So we will see if that all comes into play. But I am sure the Islands are going to have to give something else up along with Pajot. But what will that be? Hopefully not another first round pick. Because I think guys, we could all agree, it's now time to hold on to uh, picks they yes. have. Almost all their draft picks right now, but you don't want to really give too much of those up. I'd kind of rather leave everything as is and let these, uh, let some of the younger players on the roster, um, let them get a feel for what's there. And the Islanders did a lot what they needed to do. They took care of guys they brought in and with Orvat last year, re-signing, uh, Angville as well this weekend too. So a lot of production, but Really, that might just be the only thing, a couple of more tweakings, and then if they could find a spot to keep Zach Frise around if he decides to play.
2: Well, Lou Lamarillo definitely taken care of business this week and, and, and then some. He was uh, he must have been a busy guy, but, yeah, they I was pleased to see, you know, a number of familiar faces come back. The goaltending situation shored up. Um, you know, I, I, healthy, get off to a good start, and I think, you know, great things are ahead for this team this year.
4: Yeah, absolutely absolutely and they're in a good position financially and I think that's what he had to spend this off season doing last off season doing just looking at I was looking at cap friendly and reading a couple of things too as all this was going down. Really when you look at it, this is this is going to be the team for a little while. Um all that really comes off the books at the end of this season is um Matt Martin and Cal bucks. So you kind of really have an idea what this team's going to look, look like in the next couple of years. It's not really, to me, a bad contract. When you look at, you say, what they just gave to Engel and, and Scott Mayfield, the uh, their average annual salaries are, are fine. Yep. it's more, it, The years surprise me more than that, but it's overall everything, I think money-wise, is in a good place, and I think this, they have not been there in a little while. So they could really just play things to their cards, and I think, like we said, getting Sorokin done was a, was a big thing now, one less distraction into the season. And now you really have your core. Now it's a matter of doing business. Really, the only thing left maybe to say is, we talked about this when the season ended, is uh, Lynn Lambert going to make changes to the coaching staff or is he going to run it back with John McClain running the power play and Doug Huda running the defense? So we shall see there.
1: Yeah, that power play was hurting last year, John. Let's be honest.
4: Yes, it was, and we all know
1: that. Um, just one more quick one. we got a minute left with you. How did you feel about old buddy Pete Laviolette, now coaching about 15 miles away from his old home?
4: Well, did you guys know he's the first to coach both the Islanders and the Rangers? That, I did that not know big, that. That was a big surprise to me. But he, he's, he, I, he's a very different coach than when he was coaching the Islanders. Um, I mean... It might not be much different, honestly, than Gerard Gallant, because he's just as a hard nosed. It's just the difference is he's got a Stanley Cup on his resume, and he's had very short. He has not lasted more than five years in any of his any of his stops since he left the Long Island. All
1: right, Johnny. Listen, thanks a lot. Have a great July. We'll catch up with you in August, and Train- hopefully by that time the uh, the Islanders will have made some moves. Okay, yeah,
2: and training camp will be right around the corner.
1: All right, guys, we'll
2: chat soon. Thanks, Johnny.
1: All right, folks, that's going to do it for us tonight on Sports Talk New York with the spot on sports, guys. We want to thank Tony Giordano for being our guest tonight. We want to thank a couple of our regulars, Chris Caputo, Johnny Santa Maria. Thank you to Brian Graves, another terrific job out of him. For everyone here at Sports Talk New York, including my partner, the coach. Mike Cadone, this is Mike Trezor, thanking you for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks, everybody.
0: The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.